welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams of pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Julia. Um, so uh, Steve and I are going to be going. I'm very excited about this. Mm. Um, later on this month of October, we mm-hmm. will be going to Niagara on the Lake. Oh, fun. Which is, if you are not local, is a Canadian village just over the Niagara River. Um, and it's very, it's very quaint. So it's very charming. historic. It's very charming. I took, I took, we took mm-hmm. you guys so we can go on a little wine tour and the food's very good. And it's very, um, it's very like pseudo European. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite places. I've been going up there since I was a kid. I bought like the, the best cookie ever from one of the Scottish shop that was up there. It was like graham cracker and marshmallow dipped in Cadbury chocolate. And I ate all of them. I didn't even care. Oh, man. I didn't know I, about that. I don't remember what they're called. But they oh, it's so okay. Good. When we go up, I'll look. Mm-hmm. It was at the Scottish shop? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of expats from Scotland and Ireland and various places in the UK. So, um, oh, can you get some haggis there? I can probably get some haggis there. Because <laughs> they have a lot of imported foods from the UK. So that's it's fun to get um, like a bunch of candy mm-hmm. and things. And because of the exchange rate, it's like, quote unquote, cheaper. Yeah. Shout out to Cadbury. If you um, want to sponsor us, yeah, if ca- we we will gladly we take will gladly your chocolate chill of payment. Cadbury, yes. Oh my gosh, in exchange for the product, yes, yes. absolutely. We can, we can be bought, yeah, uh, bought with chocolate for sure, absolutely. So, um, one of the nice things about Niagara and the Lake is that, uh, well, one, it's very, very close mm-hmm. to New York State. Like, you can literally stand on the shore of Niagara-on-the-Lake and wave and to wave Fort Niagara mm-hmm. in Lewiston, New York. And it looks like you could swim there, and people have tried. Um, <laughs> but it is so, so close because it's just across the river. And um, Fort Niagara on the American side is also a very popular place for reenactors um, working at a science museum, which is also a history museum. Mm -hmm. Um, I happen to know a lot more reenactors than most people, I imagine. (laughs) Um, So they do a lot of events at Mm -hmm. Fort Niagara um, and they dress up and they shoot guns and cannons (laughs) and things. And some of them are the British and some of them are not. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of plaques and oh, yeah. um, historical markers, yeah, historical mm-hmm. markers and things for the War of 1812. Mm. And um, every time I'd read them, my mind would go blank and my eyes right. would go black, and I would refuse to remember because <laughs> the War of 1812 is a labyrinthine at best war. Mm-hmm. So what better, <laughs> what better war to talk about in our hilarious comedy <laughs> podcast <laughs> than the war of 1812 so um that is what i'm going to be talking about today the war of 1812 so um we're gonna start with a question julia Great. how long did the war of 1812 last Seven years. No, two years. Two years. Yeah. Um, basically, eighteen twelve to eight to around eight, 1815. Mm. So, like three years, I guess. Okay. So, um, it was fought between the U.S. and the U.K. and their respective allies, which was most notably Canada and um, the Native Americans of what is now America. Mm. 
So British historians see it as a minor theater of the, Napole- of the Napoleonic Wars. Um, and in the US and Canada, it's, see- it's seen as a war in its own right, which is very like, like no, it's it a big deal over here. <laughs> and most of UK- the UK has completely forgotten about it. Um, because there was a, a big war with France, I believe you may have heard of right. it, which went on for a very, very long time. <laughs> and Napoleon was really the thorn in everybody's side. That was a seven years war. Yeah, that was a seven years war. <laughs> so um, since the outbreak of war with France, the UK enforced a naval blockade to choke off neutral trade to France and the US ignored it, mm. uh, mostly because they saw it as illegal under international law. So I'm going to go through like a couple of the reasons why mm-hmm. we went into another conflict so soon after, after we gained we were independence. Mm-hmm. Yes. So as punishment and to man the blockade, British Britain impressed American merchant sailors into the Royal Navy. So... I did not know what impressing was. Mm-hmm. So impressing means that uh, it was a common practice in the Royal Naval S- Navy specifically, mostly because their Navy was huge and they did it really often. But it was basically they would, um, when they would encounter another ship, like an American mm-hmm. ship or a French ship, they would be like, all right, all you guys are in the Navy now. <laughs> Get on. And then would they tag. like... Tag. Yeah, tag, you're, you're it. it. You're now in the Navy. And um, it's amazing how they did it. Like they managed to do it. <laughs> But it couldn't have possibly been that successful. And they paid them like they paid anybody Mm. else in the Navy. But it didn't, like, it was kind of counterintuitive because they Mm. didn't pay well. Right. So they kind of bought their loyalty, but not really. (laughs) So so impressment was a big issue because American soldiers, American naval sailors Mm. were being impressed into the Royal Navy. And America did not like that. (laughs) So... um, Uh, So then incidents such as the Chesapeake Leopard Affair inflamed anti-British sentiment. The Chesapeake Leopard Affair. Oh, yeah, no, I'll tell you about it. And in turn, the British were outraged by the Little Belt Affair, which was much more hilarious, but okay. (laughs) So the Chesapeake Leopard Affair was in 1807. It was just basically a naval engagement where the British warship HMS Leopard pursued, attacked, and boarded the USS Chesapeake looking for deserters of the Royal Navy. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, The Little Belt Affair occurred four years later. In 1811, it involved the U.S. frigate, the USS President, and the British mm. sixth-rate HMS Little Belt, which was originally called Lillebelt. Mm. Um, it was a Danish ship captured by the British, and this took place off the North Carolina coast. So, picture it. I la- I actually laughed aloud when I read this. I maybe I have a different sense of humor than other people, but anyway. So Commodore John Rogers of the President, mm. the American guy, he was sailing up the coast. He spotted the Little Belt. And he was like, I'm going to get that ship because he thought it was um, the Guerriere, which was a British frigate that had gotten into a skirmish with a couple of boats from the U.S. a week earlier. So mm-hmm. he was like, that's the Guerriere. I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. So then Little Belt's captain, the very British Arthur Bingham, that's like such a British name. <laughs> he saw the president and um, he was like, hey, who are you? He asked for identification. And then uh, Rogers did not give any ID. Yeah. So Bingham kept swimming, kept swimming. Aww. He kept swimming. He kept sailing. Oh. <laughs> they, they kept, I was like, he's towing the boat. I know, by himself, him. so strong, big <laughs> shoulder muscles. He continued south, um, but the Rogers, the president, continued his pursuit because he wanted to know who that Come was. Back. So um, by that afternoon, the president was close enough for Rogers to make out part of the British ship's stern, and he was like, that's a British ship. Mm. Um, and, but however, the angle at which he saw her made her appear larger than she was. Oh, so she was what's known as a sloop of war. A sloop of war was like a little ship with like Mm -hmm. 
like maybe 24 guns, which is mm-hmm. not that big, I guess. I don't, <laughs> I should preface this with the fact that I don't know a lot about maritime war. Uh, the bulk of what I know is playing from the game Battleship. Oh, see, so you know more than I do. So you've got, please and correct me. And that's just me. like names of ships. <laughs> uh, but also, so I would play with my youngest, dumbest brother, mm-hmm. Billy, and he wanted to play Battleship. And then there were a couple of times that we were playing and I was like, man like i'm not hitting anything on his side like oh i've called everything like this is crazy like where could those ships be he never even put any ships ships on the board he (laughs) just no he did on purpose oh you know he's cheating oh what a dick yeah what a dick well bill he's not listening to this no he's not i asked him like every week i'm like do you listen to my podcast yet he's like no that's all right busy my sister doesn't either so i can say bad some people i know right like just listen to their podcast yeah if they had them, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. No, no, it's totally uh, fine. He's on a sloop of war. <laughs> the little belt is a sloop of war, mm. so it's small. The president is big. Mm. So, um, what followed, the British and the Americans disagree on. Okay, as they got closer, Bingham thought that the president was going to fire on a ship. So they were not within hailing range. Like they couldn't like see each other or talk to each other until well after sunset. So at about 1015, each captain demanded the other identify his ship and each refused to answer before the other. (laughs) So imagine this. They're in complete darkness. (laughs) They're going, who are you? And they're like, you tell me who you are. You're like, no, who are you? (laughs) So that went on for a while. And then... (laughs) Just like eight solid hours. Yeah, I'm just like of no. men hollering at each yeah. other in the night. And then all the guys on the ship were like, come on. Anyway, so each captain later claimed he had been the first to ask, <laughs> which is such a dumb thing to argue about. But shortly after this, a shot was fired, but it was disputed who did so. And still to this day, no one knows who fired the first shot. Wow. Yeah. Both of them went to their graves saying that it was the other person. So what happened was a very short skirmish. Um, because the little belt was so small, mm-hmm. they had lost a lot of guys. Oh. They lost like 11 people. The president didn't get any, like mm-hmm. nobody even got hurt because they just like bombarded them. And then Arthur Bingham was like, Hey, can we please stop? And Rogers was like, all right, fine. Bye guys. <laughs> so, um, that created a lot of, um, anti-American sentiment. Okay. Uh, they were like, how dare they mm-hmm. just fire on us without any provocation. So um, the a nice little addendum to this was on August 19th, 1812, after war had finally broken out, the HMS Guerriere, which was mentioned mm-hmm. before, sailed uh, into her eventual ill-fated action against the USS Constitution, but mm-hmm. painted across her four topsail were the words, not the little belt. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's funny. Yeah. So I was like, that's some, those are some jokey <laughs> Brits. Um so the British also politically supported a Native American buffer state, which was kind mm-hmm. of important for the Native Americans at the time. Um, it hindered American expansion with raids on American settlers in the frontier. So um, the Native Americans mostly sided with the British because mm-hmm. the British promised them that they were they going to have, have their own the state. Mm-hmm. So um, there was, it was just a lot of back and forth um, that, uh, so the conflict for Americans was about violations of Americans' rights and vindication of American identity. Mm-hmm. So the British were just like, yeah, yeah, like, just don't do what we say. Just say, <laughs> do what we say. And they were like, no, 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 we're going to, we're Americans. We 
got independence from you. Mm-hmm. And then for the Brits, it was more about insults and just them being like a fly in the ointment. But they're like, we have a much bigger <laughs> war to fight, guys. So um, on June 18th, 1812, James Madison, the president of the United States, signed a declaration of war, which was the first declaration of war. Uh, thanks to heavy pressure from what was called war hawks in Congress. And this was seen as a second, this was also seen as a second war of independence from Britain. Thanks to people like Andrew Jackson, who was especially butthurt from the previous <laughs> war of independence. Um, also the United States believed that British deserters had a right to become us citizen citizens and Britain did not recognize a right whereby a British subject could relinquish his status as a British subject. Like you're just always exist. British. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that meant that in addition to recovering naval deserters, it considered any uni- United States citizen who was born British liable for impressment. Oh. So they thought they could just take over these guys. who were like, you were born in Britain anyway. I mean, you guys are now been in a our country. Navy. Yep. Um, so aggravating the situation was the reluctance of the United States to issue formal naturalization papers and the widespread use of unofficial or forged identity or protection papers by sailors. So mm-hmm. there was no way of telling whether they were right. born in Britain or not. So, that created like a big conflict. Um, so thus, while the United States recognized British born sailors on American ships as Americans, Britain did not. So American anger at impressment grew when Brit- British frigates were stationed just outside U S harbors in view of U S shores. And then they searched ships for contraband and impressment while within U S territorial waters. So they were just like, they would just pile on in American waters and be like, you, 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 and you, you look British. You got bad teeth. Get on. You're now in the Navy. I see you there with you drinking your afternoon tea. Yeah, I see you. So um, the British also saw Native Americans as potential allies in the event of war, and they gained allegiance by promising to support their resistance of expansion and provide them with arms. So they Mm -hmm. had men on the ground. Right. Um, So the other thing was the U.S. also wanted to annex Canada. Okay. So there's some conflict among historians to this day as to whether or not the reason why America got into eight, the War of 1812 was because they just wanted to get uh, Canada, especially what was called Upper Canada, mm-hmm. which was like, which sounds is kind of counterintuitive because Upper Canada is actually Southern Ontario, which is the closest to oh, okay. Buffalo, Lewiston, Niagara Falls. Um, that's where the original um, like capital of Ontario, which was mm-hmm. the city called York, was and also uh, Niagara on the Lake, which mm-hmm. ho- housed Fort George. Um, at the time, it was a village called Newark, but we're going to call it Niagara on the Lake for mm-hmm. purposes. Um, and so they figured they, if they took over that part of Canada, Upper Canada, um, they could control the trade routes okay. and also um, all of the trade routes from Lower Canada, which was Northern on the Ontario, waterways, all of the waterways and mm-hmm. also the timber. Mm-hmm. Um, so. They, some people thought that it was just, it was because they wanted all of that and they wanted to just take over all of Canada. Other historians think that they thought it was just a bargaining chip to force the UK to back down on maritime issues. Uh, Additionally, just a general feeling of manifest destiny existed too. Many Americans (laughs) believed it was only natural that their country should swallow up North America. Uh, One congressman, John Harper, said in a speech that, quote, the author of nature himself had marked our limits in the south by the Gulf of Mexico and on the north by the regions of eternal frost. So he was like, this shit is ours up and down, left and right. (laughs) So um, and they thought it was going to be super easy to to claim Ontario. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it had been settled mostly by revolution era, era revolution era exiles from the United States, which were United Empire loyalists. Mm-hmm. Um, or post-war American immigrants, and the loyalists were hostile to union with the United States, while the immigrant settlers were generally uninterested in politics and remained neutral or supported the British during the war. So the Canadian colonies were thinly populated and only lightly defended by the British Army. And Americans uh, then believed that many men in Upper Canada would rise up and greet an American invading army as liberators. (laughs) That did not happen. Uh. So... (laughs) Um, one reason American forces retreated after one successful battle inside Canada was that they could not obtain supplies from the locals. They were like, give me your bread. And they were like, no, no. what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, the Americans thought that the possibility of local support suggested an easy conquest. Um, former president Thomas, Thomas Jefferson believed the acquisition of Canada this year, as far as the neighborhood of Co- Quebec would be a mere matter of marching hmm. and will give us the experience for the attack on Halifax, the next and final expulsion of England from the American continent. Basically they were really uncomfortable with having British colonies so close yeah. to um, the new country of America. So there's a lot of arguments among historians as to whether or not the War of 1812 is about eliminating the British in Canada or more about asserting their maritime rights Mm. as a new country. Um, However, when war was finally declared, no one was prepared for war. Yeah. Nobody. Even though there had been years and years of angry diplomatic dispute. The Royal Navy was mostly distracted by maritime engagements with the French. They Mm -hmm. had the largest navy in the world at the time, but they were all dealing with the French. Right. Um, Forces in Ontario, they were well-trained because the British military was extremely well trained um so well dressed and well dressed oh (laughs) red on all of them beautiful um there were very few of them uh so troops were commanded to be defensive only and additionally the americans were unprepared for a full-on attack especially after it was discovered that they certainly weren't going to get any help from the canadians Mm. so in 1812 the regular ass u.s army was only about (laughs) twelve thousand, and it was not super well trained and mostly disorganized i mean uh, from as you may remember, the Revolutionary War, uh, there wasn't really like, I mean, they got more and more um, organized right. as the years went on, but they were essentially, Amer- the American army was essentially like a ragtag bunch of mm-hmm. dudes who just, you know, had their own personal guns yeah, and were like, needed all kinds of yeah. assistance. Let's kill some Brits. Um, so redcoats, grr. Um, so it also, um, the U.S. Army paid little, and it was an unpopular career choice. Mm-hmm. So local militias were worse since they were historically trained for defense thanks to the Revolutionary War and were uncomfortable with fighting off of their home right. turf. Um, they didn't want to go anywhere. Yeah, they just like they just wanted to stay inside yeah. and drink their ale by, by firelight. Yeah. And, and then like, if somebody like was hollering in the street, they'd go out with their musket yeah. and be like, hey, <laughs> let's get some, let's kill some redcoats. <laughs> so... Also, this war was super unpopular with Americans, too, especially in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States had great difficulty financing its war. It had disbanded the National Bank, and private bankers in the Northeast were totally opposed to right. the war, so they weren't going to give any money. Um, ironically enough, the United States was able to obtain financing from the London-based Barings Bank to cover overseas bond obligations. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, it's just like Aww. a mess. Um so the failure of New England to provide militia units or financial support was a serious blow because New England militias um, were, because of the Revolutionary War, again, mm-hmm. were very well trained. There was a lot of them because a lot of the wars were right. fought on their turf. I mean, excuse me, battles. 
Uh, and New England, because it had been established long enough, uh, was the wealthiest region in mm-hmm. America at the time. Um, so, and New England actually um, threatened to secede, and they were very loud about it. Should have let them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Boston. Anyway, um, so I'm there not was- sorry. <laughs> So um, Britain exploited these divisions, these internal divisions, and they blockaded only southern ports for much of the war and encouraged smuggling. So they were like, Mm. get on our side. So due to these factors, the Americans did pretty abysmally in the first year of the war. Um, We lost Detroit. We just surrendered Detroit. We just couldn't find it anymore. We just lost it. (laughs) We were like, wait a second. (laughs) Wasn't there like a um, car manufacturing (laughs) city around here? I'm getting my times all mixed up. Um, so we lost Detroit to a surrender. Like there wasn't even a fight. They were just like, no, you know what? Take hey, it. Just have it. Just have it, please. Um, the American forces were poorly trained in arm. We just lost it. Uh, Americans attempted an attack across the Niagara River, but they were crushed at Queenston Heights. Crushed mm. is the operative word. Meanwhile, Canadians doing great. French Canadians who found the anti-Catholic stance of most of the United States troublesome Mm -hmm. and United Empire loyalists who had fought for the crown during the American Revolutionary War strongly opposed the American invasion. Many in Upper Canada, Ontario, Mm -hmm. were recent settlers from the United States who had no obvious loyalties to the crown. uh, But nevertheless, while there were some who sympathized with the invaders, the American forces found strong opposition from men loyal to the empire. Mm. So um, there were so many battles. Oh, my God. The Wikipedia article for this is long and detailed. There are people out there, I'm assuming, there's some crossover in the Venn diagram of people who reenact and people who are super interested in like the finer details of skirmishes and battles Uh um, is like almost a complete circle. (laughs) But I'm just going to talk about a couple of the more interesting ones. Okay. Um, So speaking from local experience, um, controlling the Niagara River as a route for supplies as well as a gateway into Upper Canada was key for both sides. So Americans managed to take over Fort George mm-hmm. in Niagara on the Lake in May of 1813 without a lot of fuss. Um, they kind of surprised the Canadian forces. And um, so they took it over, but they didn't advance further. And so the British created a blockade around it to starve them out. Mm. So um, later that year, because they were starved out, the Americans abandoned Fort George, but um, in a fit of pouty rage, burned Niagara the Lake to the ground. Oh. Um, and then in retaliation, the British burned Lewiston, New York, which is just across the river mm-hmm. and then burned Buffalo in December of 1813. Like how much Buffalo? Like a good, a good like chunk a, of Buffalo. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's like, geez guys. I heard about that. But at the same time we burned York, like we burned oh. it, like burned it, burned it. So <sighs> this I mean, is the, there's everybody's only move at this point. Right. They're just like, burn it. Our people they are not very good at shooting. <laughs> they're not very good at like getting out of bed and, and <laughs> standing in line together yeah. to defend things. You know what we can do? Uh, we can Light just a fire. Tor- <laughs> just torch it. Well, you'll see yeah. in this next. Yeah, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm not telling you anything. You don't know. Mm. So the Chesapeake campaign, the burning of Washington, D.C. On August 24th, the U.S. Secretary of War, John Armstrong Jr., insisted that the British would attack Baltimore rather than Washington, even when units of the British Army accompanied by major ships of the Royal <laughs> Navy were obviously on their way to the capital. <laughs> so the inexperienced American militia, which had congregated nearby at Bladensburg, Maryland, or Bladensburg? Bladensburg. Bladensburg. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
They congregated there to protect the capital. They were defeated in the Battle of Bladensburg, opening the route to Washington. Um, So while First Lady Dolly Madison saved valuables from the then-named President's House or Mm -hmm. President's Palace, which was the White House, Fourth President James Madison and the government, with members of the presidential cabinet, they fled to Virginia. Mm -hmm. The Secretary of the Navy then burned the Washington Naval Yard in order to prevent American naval supplies and ships from going into the hands of the dastardly Brits. So um, I read somewhere that uh, part of the reason why Washington, D.C. did not, like, get leveled by burning was because there was, like, a miraculous like tornado and like horrible rainstorm that like put out the fire. I don't know. I mean, I think that's true, but that, yeah, I re- recall the, the rain. Yes. That was like a providential mm-hmm. thing. So God because is on everything that. at that time was just wood. Yeah. I mean, everything's wood. Yeah. Just burn like mm-hmm. a pile of tinder. So, um, this is my favorite part. This is another example of like British, like sticking it to you. The British commanders ate the supper that had been prepared for the president and his departmental secretaries after returning from hopeful, glorious U.S. victory before they burned the executive mansion. So they sat down and they ate his dinner and then they burned the place to the ground. I know, right? Jeez. So American morale, as you could possibly imagine, was reduced to an all-time low. (laughs) (laughs) The British viewed their actions as retaliation for the destructive American invasions and raids into Canada, most notably the Americans burning of York York. Mm -hmm. earlier in 1813. So um, here's a little story about the star spangled banner at the bombardment of Fort McHenry during the subsequent battle for Baltimore. All the lights were extinguished in Baltimore the night of the attack and the fort was bombarded for 25 hours. The only light that was given off was by the exploding shells over Fort McHenry illuminated the flag that was still flying over the fort. The rocket's red glare. Yeah, the rocket's red glare. The, the flag bomb, was still the there. The was bursting in air. Yep. The defense of the fort inspired the American lawyer Francis Scott Key to write Defense of Fort McHenry. That's what it says. A poem that was set to music as the Star Spangled Banner. And as you know, and I know, the Star Spangled Banner music is actually a British drinking song, mm-hmm. which makes perfect sense when you start to think about the tune and you just imagine a bunch of very drunk men in a pub singing it. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've been to frat parties where a bunch of drunk dudes have just started singing the Star Spangled Banner. Wow, what a patriotic bunch you have up here. Uh, <laughs> I think we were dancing a little John. <laughs> The prep which parties is I went to. You went to school in Virginia, <laughs> which is a very patriotic state. So um, Andrew Jackson did what he did, did best and fought the Native American forces in the Southern theater, including in Georgia, Florida, and New Orleans. I did not realize that the War of 1812 was fought in a lot in, of places. In a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually, there was also a um, uh, like an international contingent. There was mm-hmm. a European theater as well, but I just, I mean, this would be a two hour long. <laughs> Who has the time? Who has the time? Um, so one such battle was known as the Creek War, as in the Native American mm-hmm. Creek tribe, uh, part of the four century long Indian Wars. Uh, major conflicts took place between state militia units and what was known as the Red Stick Creeks. Okay. And this was a, um, a side faction of the Creek Native American mm-hmm. tribe that wore red war paint on their faces. And so they were known as red sticks. So finally it ends by 1814. Both sides had either achieved their main war goals or were weary of a costly war that was offered little, but little, but stalemate. They both sent delegations to a neutral site in Ghent, Flanders, which is now part of Belgium. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the negotiations began in early August and concluded on December 24th, 1814, when a final agreement was signed. Both sides had to ratify it before it could take effect. Meanwhile, both sides planned new invasions. So, um, <laughs> wait a second. Yeah. In 1814, that's when the Napoleonic Wars ended. And um, the British were just like so tired. Like they didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Um, export trade was all We've but, all been there. Yeah, like, oh, I'm so done with this. Export trade was all but paralyzed, and after Napoleon fell in 1814, France was no longer an enemy of Britain, so the Royal Navy no longer needed to stop American shipments to France, mm. and it no longer needed to impress more seamen. It had ended the practice... Nobody that, needs to impress more no, seamen. No, no one wants to impress more seamen, am I right? Hey, girl. <laughs> enough is enough, am I right? Anyway, and it ended the practices that so angered the Americans in 1812. So there was no yeah, like they were just like, oh. yeah, and they were preoccupied with rebuilding Europe, mm-hmm. and so like they they were just the American economy was near bankruptcy. It was forced to rely on loans for the rest of the war. American foreign trade was reduced to a, twi- a trickle, a twickle. <laughs> oh my god, it's just a little trickle. just a twickle. Um, so the American economy was thrown into chaos with prices soaring and unexpected shortages causing hardship in New England, which was considering secession anyway. Mm-hmm. So what the Treaty of Ghent did was basically give everyone what they had before the war. <laughs> and this is there's a term called it's called status quo antebellum, which okay. means that everyone sticks with this with the same territory that they had mm-hmm. before. No one takes over anything else. No one wins. It is pretty obvious who lost, however, mm. which was the Native Americans. Right. Um, the British diplomats said, stated their case first, demanding that the creation of an Indian barrier state in the American Northwest Territory, which was the area from Ohio to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was understood that the British would sponsor this Indian state. And um, the British strategy for decades had been to create a buffer state to block American expansion. And uh, they refused to consider it. Uh, mm-hmm. Americans refused to consider a buffer state and then the proposal was dropped. But um, article nine of the treaty included provisions to restore to natives, quote, all possessions, rights and privileges, which they may have enjoyed or been entitled to in 1811. Mm-hmm. But those provisions were unenforceable. Right. So they were taken over anyway and Western expansion continued. And um, that was that for the native Americans. Mm-hmm. So they had a brief moment uh, during the war of 1812 mm-hmm. where they felt like they could have um, a space for themselves in right. uh, North America. And unfortunately that did not happen as we know. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Tecumseh in like two seconds, but I'm going to lay some facts on you about okay. the war of 1812. It is a big deal in Canada. Oh. Um, by Whereas the twi- a lot of Americans don't know more about it than just yeah than just that like it was called the war of 1812 and maybe dolly madison saved some things from yeah the White House. and i learned that from drunk history um <laughs> so uh by the ni- 21st century it was a forgotten wall- war in britain mm-hmm. no one remembers yeah. it it is still remembered in canada especially ontario okay. so in a 2009 poll 30 37 percent of canadians said the war was a canadian victory nine percent said the u.s won 15% called it a draw and 39% said they knew lo- too little to comment, which is such a Canadian <laughs> thing. They're so polite. A 2012 poll found that in a list of items that could be used to define Canadians identity, the belief that Canada successfully repelled an American invasion in the war of 1812 placed second. Yeah. After hockey. After I'm assuming <laughs> hockey. It didn't tell me what number one was, but maple I'm sure syrup. it's hockey or maple syrup. So, um, couple of people that we're going to talk about. Laura Secord. Okay. 
So we've driven past her homestead when mm. we were up in Niagara on the Lake, but she was a Canadian heroine of the War of 1812. They are obsessed with her up there. She is, she's the Susan B. Anthony of Canada. Um, she walked 20 miles through forests and swamps out of American-occupied territory in 1813 to warn British forces of an impending American attack. So um, she was married to loyalist James Secord, and he was seriously wounded at the Battle of Queenston Heights Mm -hmm. early in the War of 1812. So he was still recovering in 1813, and the Americans invaded the Niagara Peninsula, including Queenston, and their house was, like, burned to the ground. Right. So that's all anybody Yeah, that's all anybody could do. No guns, just burn. So um, during the occupation, Secord acquired information about a planned American attack. Some say that she overheard at dinner a couple mm. of guys talking about it. So she stole away on the morning of 22 June to inform Lieutenant James Fitzgibbon in the territory still controlled by the British. The information helped the British and their Mohawk warrior allies repel the invading Americans at the Battle of Beaver Dams. The Battle of Beaver Dams? The Battle of Beaver Dams. If I had to guess what country that was in, <laughs> where would you, no context where would you at think? all, <laughs> that would be really easy to guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That sounds like Canada. Sorry, Battle um, of Beaver Dams. So apparently, Laura Secord, she's a hero, mm-hmm. right? Completely forgotten about during her lifetime. Oh. Did not, no one, she was like, oh, what about my house? And Fitzgibbon was yeah. like, not my problem, lady. Kind of like uh, Paul Revere. Yeah, like yes, she is the Paul. She's the female Paul Revere of Canada. Revere, exactly. Um, So her contribution to the war was little known during her lifetime. Um, And the Secords, when her the Secord family kept trying to like get her recognized Mm -hmm. by the British Commonwealth during her lifetime, and they kept refusing. Mm -hmm. Um, In eighteen sixty, sixty years after this happened, almost sixty years, uh, Edward, Prince of Wales, um, was in town. And he heard about her and he was like, oh, you know what we should do? Give her some money. So he gave her a oh. hundred bucks. Eh, big deal, right? A hundred bucks for her incredible bravery. So after she died, she blew up in a big way. Okay. Um, she, uh, that she is the subject of plays, books, poetry. There's uh, monuments. <laughs> she, art. I mean, this woman. There's actually... Uh, Though she had no relation to it, most Canadians associate her with the Laura Secord Chocolates Company, which was named after her on the centennial of her walk. There's this great painting that I saw on Wikipedia of her, and she's like gorgeous, and she has flowing blonde hair, and she's running through the forest, and like her, for some reason, her dress is open at the chest. Well, (laughs) yeah. Her her heaving bosom. Yeah, her heaving bosom. She's like, I must get to Fitzgibbon. And um, there's two um, Mohawk Native Americans like guiding her. And of course, they're like wow. practically naked and yeah. they're very exotic. It's just really silly. But that's like Laura Secord I mean, in a nutshell. this was like back in the day and we didn't have maps, how would anybody know where how to get to anywhere? She walked 20 miles. Like that's a big deal. She walked it. Yeah. What if she had gone in the wrong direction? I know, right? I would have gone in the wrong direction. You know, I don't know how to tell the directions from the sun. Yeah. When the GPS is like, head north I'm on like, 5th Street. Okay. I'm like, I don't... Where's north? <laughs> Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Left or right, sir? Anyway. Um, so then I'm going to talk... Now I'm going to just quickly talk about Tecumseh. Mm-hmm. He was a Native American Shawnee warrior and chief, and he became the primary leader of a large multi-tribal confederacy in the early years of the 19th century. He was one of the most 
celebrated Indian leaders in history and was known as a strong and eloquent orator who promoted tribal unity. Mm. Um, He was ambitious. He was willing to take risks and he made significant sacrifices to repel the Americans from Indian lands in the old Northwest territory. Um, In 1808 with his brother, uh, Tenskwatawa, who was known as the prophet, he founded the Indian village. The Americans called Prophetstown, located north of present-day Lafayette, Indiana, and it grew into a large multi-tribal community and a central point in Tecumseh's political and military alliance. Mm. So um, he and his Confederacy continued to fight the Americans after forming an alliance with Great Britain in the War of eighteen twelve, under the promise that they would receive their own space, right, their own mm-hmm. their own um, state, basically. Um, so after U.S. naval forces c- took control of Lake Erie in 1813, the British and their um, Native American allies retreated into Upper Canada, where the American forces engaged them at the Battle of the Thames on October 5th, 1813, and Tecumseh was killed. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, his death um, and the end of the war caused the Pan-Native uh, American alliance to collapse and failure. Mm-hmm. So um, within a few la- years, the remaining tribal lands in the Old Northwest were ceded to the U.S. government and subsequently opened for new settlement. And most of the Native Americans eventually moved west across the Mississippi River. And this is this idea of um, they were constantly being pushed and pushed Mm. and pushed out to the West Coast until all of their land was taken over. Um, However, since his death, Tecumseh has become an iconic folk hero in American Aboriginal and Canadian history. So um, he's a big deal around here. Um, So, yeah. So that was, in a nutshell, the quickest of nutshells, (laughs) the War of 1812. Um, so I have a quiz, which is somewhat about the war of 1812, but mostly about, um, sailing and maritime law, the most exciting, <laughs> Ooh, the most exciting of the laws. Yes. So here we go. <clears throat> Question one, which American author took his pseudonym from a measurement of depth of water on a steamboat? Question two. In my favorite TV show, Arrested Development, Michael Bluth creates an alter ego who happens to be a maritime lawyer when dating a blind woman, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. What is his alter ego's name? Number three. What is the term for a military success that, despite getting the W, means that there were devastating losses? Question four. What is the name of the area on either side of the equator that is notorious for light winds and subsequent strandings of ships? This is also a term meaning sad or depressed. Question number five. This general and secret romantic was obsessed with his beautiful and admittedly out of his league wife and once wrote a romance novel based loosely on his torrid affair with an ex-girlfriend. Question six. The Edmund Fitzgerald is a famous shipwreck made even more famous by the Gordon Lightfoot song. Which great lake did the Edmund Fitzgerald sink on? Question number seven. We all know that the Titanic sank in April of 1912 in the frigid waters of the Atlantic. What was the name of the ship that rescued its survivors? Question number eight. What is the term for the system of sending messages over long distances, usually over water or sea, by holding the arms or two flags in certain positions according to an alphabetic code. Question number nine. I'm going to give you three sea superstitions and you tell me if they were true or not. Question number one. Is it bad luck to have bananas on board? Two. It is bad luck to laugh on a ship. And three. It is bad luck for women to be on the ship. 
And finally, question number 10, which famous composer nearly dedicated his third symphony to Napoleon? We'll give you a minute to think about it and we'll be right back with answers. took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. We took a little bacon and we took a little beans and we caught the bloody British in a town in New Orleans. We fired our guns and the British kept a-coming. There wasn't as many as there was a while ago. We fired once more and they began to run it on down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. We looked down a river and we seized the British come and there must have been a hundred of them beating on the drum. They stepped so high and they made the bugles ring We stood beside our cotton bales and didn't say a thing We fired our guns and the British kept a-coming There wasn't as many as there was a while ago We fired once more and they began to run it On down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico Okay, so question number one Which American author took a pseudonym for measurement of depth of water on a steamboat? <laughs> Uh, Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain. Mark Twain, which means uh, Mark II. Mm -hmm. Okay, I know you know this because I saw you cracking up when I was saying this. <laughs> In Arrested Development, Michael Bluth creates an alter ego. He was a maritime lawyer. What is his alter ego's name? Cherith, cute story. I, I will watch that episode any day of the week. Over and over again. It is so clever. I just love that yeah, show her so much. Blind Lawyer is one of my favorite <laughs> characters on a show ever. God bless you. Julia, please get please, please. get well soon. Yes. We love you. Um, question number three. What is the term for a military success that despite winning means that there were devastating losses? Yeah. Okay. I, I need I need something to <laughs> narrow that down. It's okay. Uh, it's known as a Pyrrhic victory. Oh, okay. Um, it's named after King Pyrrhus of Ep Epirius, whose army suffered irreplaceable casualties in defeating the Romans at the Battle of Heraclea in 280 BC and at the Battle of Ascalum in 279 BC during what's known as the Pyrrhic War. Hmm. Um, question number four, what is the name of the area on either side of the equator that is notorious for strandings of ships and is also means sad or depressed? I do know. That is the doldrums. Oh. Yeah. So there you go. Um, this general and secret romantic was obsessed with his beautiful wife and once wrote a romance novel based loosely on his torrid affair with an ex-girlfriend. It's actually Napoleon. Oh. Yeah, Napoleon Bonaparte wrote uh, what's known as Clisson et Eugenie about Bernardine Eugenie Desiree Clary, whose sister actually ended up marrying his brother. Okay. Um, I don't know how good my French accent was in that moment. Do not <laughs> at her. <laughs> So do not at you. Do not. Don't at me. <laughs> don't at me. Um, so he he was with this girl um, like just before he married Josephine, which was his beautiful but out of his league wife. Um, so the Edmund Fitzgerald is a famous shipwreck. What great lake did the Edmund Fitzgerald <laughs> sink on? Okay. Were you trying to sing the song? In I, head? Yeah. Oh. I, <laughs> I didn't have 18 minutes though. Oh to yeah. Sing no, the it's whole a song. very long song. I remember I called into a radio station with my mom one what? time to ask them to play it. Cause we were like, we were like humming it at home or whatever. And she's like, mm -hmm. just see if somebody will play it. And like, we called like oh, the oldest station and like they, you know, they, they played play it, it within the hour. Yeah. All, you know, whatever the radio edit of the 19 yeah. minute song is. And I'm just going to pick it random. It's fine. I'm going to say Lake Erie. 
No. No. <laughs> it was Lake Superior. Okay. However, my mom's best friend, Lori, shout out to Lori, she always has, every summer has an Edmund Fitzgerald party mm-hmm. where they release balloons, one for every member of the crew <laughs> that died, and there's like a red balloon for the captain. Oh, and boy. it was su- it's such a popular party mm-hmm. that she has now turned it into a fundraiser for oh, ALS. Oh, that's great. It's a riot too. And she <laughs> they have a house on Lake Erie. So Okay. Um, okay, we all know that the Titanic sank in April of 1912 in the frigid waters of the Atlantic. What was the name of the ship that rescued its survivors? Is it the Carpathia? It is the Carpathia. Good job. Okay, question number eight. What is the term of system of sending messages over long distances using flags? Semaphore. It is. Semaphore or flag semaphore. Um, there is a very good song, and I'm going to forget the name of the band, called Semaphore, and it's so good. It's, a, it's by... Um, the lead singer of another band and I can't remember I should have looked it up before I started talking <laughs> anyway I'll I'll post it on Twitter anyway okay three superstitions you tell me if they're true or Ooh, I made it fun. up okay number one is it bad luck to have bananas on board I'm gonna say true it is true at the height of the trading empire between Spain and the Caribbean most cases of disappearing ships happen to be carrying bananas <laughs> Uh, another theory suggests that because bananas spoiled so quickly, transporters had to get to their destination much oh, quicker. Right. Yeah. And then therefore they didn't catch anything while the bananas were on board. Mm-hmm. Um, another danger caused um, by bananas fermenting so quickly was that the heat of the storage hill bananas would produce deadly toxic fumes. <laughs> oh um, boy. So a final theory was that species of deadly spider would hide inside banana oh, bunches. Yeah. And so it, it heightened the fear that banana cargo was a bad omen. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, many boaters now continue to avoid bananas at sea, some even avoiding banana-smelling suntan lotion, which is like such a stupid thing, but, you know, sailors are weird. Okay. Second one, it is bad luck to laugh on a ship. I'll say false. It is false. I made that yeah. up. I mean, sailors, they love to laugh. Yeah, Pirates they're so jolly. Laugh. They're jolly. The I mean, jolly Roger. Literally the Jolly Roger. I know. I should have come up with something better. Okay. Uh, finally, it is bad luck for women to be on a ship. That's true. That is true. They were I said, know that from Pirates of the Caribbean. There you go. <laughs> See? Don't say you didn't learn anything from Disney. Um, women were said to bring bad luck on board because they distracted the sailors from their sea duties. Well, sure. um, and then this kind of behavior angered the intemperate seas that would take their revenge out on the ship. Um, weirdly enough, naked women on board were completely welcome. Oh, Okay. That's because naked women calmed the sea. Um, this is why the ships typically had a figure of a topless woman mm-hmm. perched on the bow of the ship. Her bare breasts would shame the stormy seas into calm, and yeah. her open eyes guided the seamen to safety. That sounds. That, that sounds, sounds right. right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how often I have. It's been. A, there's been a storm of brewing. Yeah. And I go outside and I just pull off my, my top, and then, and then sunny Oof, skies ahead. Fine. Yeah. Sunny skies ahead. <laughs> I highly recommend toplessness to control the weather. Anyway. And finally. Also, don't vaccinate your kids. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. This is all no. a joke. This is a joke. We highly, we vaccinate support va- everything. Please vaccinate and, everything. And your breasts do not control the weather. <laughs> we thank debunked you, Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> okay. Question number 10. Which famous composer nearly dedicated his third symphony to Napoleon? Mm, Beethoven. It was Beethoven. So he thought he was like a really great guy until Napoleon went. He yeah. he crowned himself emperor. And then Beethoven was like, oh, he's just like a regular man <laughs> who thinks God. he's better than everybody. That's <laughs> it. Um, but then he softened on him later in life and, and was like, all right, he's, you know, 
he has some ideas. <laughs> so there's that. So that's my quiz on on, on the sea. Um, so uh, thank you for listening. I hope you learned a lot about the War of 1812 and it clarified some things for you because I yeah. know every time I saw an 1812 plaque, I was like, I don't know what the hell goes on. Yeah. So that's yeah, one the, thing. The end result is that really nobody won. Mm-hmm. No one won. So the Americans have never like lost a foreign war on home soil is the. Yeah, that's true. That has not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Technically lost a foreign war. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Um, uh, Just remember, you can get us on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, any place you can find podcasts. Um, Please uh, review, rate and subscribe. Thank you to everybody that's done that so far. It's really nice to team be on the internet and read nice things about yourself yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) what a thing it's amazing that not more people do this um yeah it's always nice because when i see the stars and then i like click on the reviews Mm. i'm like please say something nice um because i uh exist only on positive reinforcement (laughs) so so thank you for doing that and please uh continue to do that for us and you can um email us at misinfopod at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at misinfopod or you can find us on our website at www.misinfopod.com you know the canadians say triple w dot triple w dot yeah oh yeah because i I listened to a lot of canadian radio growing up and when they would give out websites they would say triple w dot mcdonald's.com there's a there's mcdonald's in canada by the way Uh. um but i was like that's so that's so much more efficient than you know saying www dot yeah anyway another another thing i learned today yeah great there you go another little added tidbit of trivia right at the end (laughs) all right (laughs) well uh we'll catch you next time Thanks Thanks. for listening. Bye. Bye.